right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson in with you solo today on RCST. Adam Dravetta is out this week. Took off early, going to Cancun. For Thanksgiving. Well, with that said, I will have John Kirby with me of Jayhawk Slant. He'll join the show coming up in about 35 minutes from right now. The goal for today's show is to just be better than the ESPN Plus broadcast on Saturday. I know that is not setting a high bar at all, but that is the goal for today. KU almost Gets a second straight win. I believe it would have been their first time winning back-to-back games since 2008 in the Big 12. And they almost would have done both of them on the road, in fact. I mean, think about that for a second. You go 13 years without winning a Big 12 road game, and then you almost win two in a row back-to-back over Texas and TCU. But in the end, TCU ends up kicking a field goal as time expires to win the game 31-28. to And... How could you not be even more encouraged where this team is going after a performance like that? You have the win two weeks ago, then you have a near loss this week, right? How many times in the past have we seen KU have the near loss and then nothing else happens for a couple weeks? Or they have the win and then nothing else happens for a couple weeks. This is something we talked about after KU almost beat Oklahoma. The fact that In years past, when you've been competitive in a game maybe you weren't supposed to be, you weren't able to string together back-to-back good performances. And you weren't able to capitalize off of maybe some momentum there and keep it moving forward the next week. And and that happened for KU this year when you almost did beat Oklahoma. And then the very next week, you got waxed by Oklahoma State. You were out of it after the first quarter of play. Now, looking back, Oklahoma State, honestly might just have like the best defense we've seen in the big 12 in a decade plus. I don't know. Maybe you'd have to go back to like that 2009 Nebraska team. It it might be the the best defense considering like where offenses have come nowadays. It might be the best defense in big 12 history. I I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speak to too much uh, about the history of that, but certainly it is one of the better big 12 defenses we have ever seen, and maybe we should take that more with a grain of salt, but now you have had proof that you can do that. You have been able to build off some momentum of a win and have back-to-back good performances. All season long, mainly through, I would say, the early to middle portion of the year, I would come on this show and I'd emphasize and discuss how this KU team was just so far behind And they were with the lack of spring practices with the current staff taking over so late in the game. It was an excuse we used, an excuse that 
you know, I would still use because it's a valid excuse. You don't have coaches that take over that late in the game. And I'm not going to lie, as much as I used it because it was an important note of context to what we were seeing, it's not that I enjoyed doing that because it was true and it needed to be brought up, but every time I said it, there was a part of me that was like, I, I just sound like a broken record right now. And every time I would say it, it almost felt like I could almost hear you, the listener, on certain times, roll your eyes and go, here we go again. Yes, we get it. They took over late. You don't have to bring it up every time. But again, it was a very important piece of the puzzle. Very important piece of context. Well, I think what we've seen over these last few weeks is probably more proof of how true that was. Because in theory, every day with this current staff that you have represents a higher percentage of growth or getting to know the scheme than a player in a different one, right? If you were already with your current coaching staff, you know, one day of practice represents your one in whatever, say 100 days of practice. But since this staff has maybe had less practices, let's say it's of 80, 180th is going to be a higher percentage of improvement or of getting to know things than one 100th, right? And so it, it finally feels like KU is no longer so far behind all these other teams. And I think that's what we've kind of seen over these last couple of weeks. The fruits of their labor are finally starting to show. Because when you have such a, a highly regarded coaching staff that comes in, you wonder how long it's going to take for some of that to show. And certainly there's more to be had. This can't be the be-all, end-all for you to say, you know, this is the limit, that we can win an occasional game and be competitive. Eventually, it is going to turn toward being, no, you need to be winning more of those games. But where we are in year one, taking this first step, this isn't something we've seen in a decade plus for KU. And the fact that you're finally starting to see the fruits of that labor, of the big coaching staff coming in and affecting things, and early on in the season and midway through the season, we didn't always get to see that. And again, you tie that back in with the idea that you didn't have the spring practices so that, of course, it was going to be more difficult for this coaching staff to have a big impact on this team with less practices and opportunity to show that improvement. But now that we're later in the season and you've had enough time, which it's funny because you're still technically behind the eight ball of every other team because they did have, you know, even though you're here, they're still two weeks past you and they always will be for the rest of this season. But you finally kind of maybe more caught up to where you need to be with the lost time. And I think that is a big part of why we're seeing what we're seeing. And if that is the case, where it's a situation of you're finally starting to have everything clicking with the staff and the players understanding what they need to do in the scheme and what the staff wants from them, that's a really good sign moving forward. Because guess what? Next year, you would think you're going to have all of that familiarity that you kind of have at the end of this season. I mentioned the part about the moral victories 
You know, I, I'm sure some people are, are to a point. Kwame Lasseter said this in the post game. He said, you know, at the end of the day, we still lost the game, and we're not about moral victories. And I get that, and that is so important from the player standpoint, from the coaching standpoint. They have to emphasize the lack of moral victories and that the victories are in winning the games. But from a media and fan perspective of just watching where this program is going, I think it is okay to have moral victories from, from where I sit. Lance Leipold isn't responsible for the issues of Les Miles or Charlie Weiss or David Beatty, Turner Gill, and so forth. So when those coaches would have moral victories, they wouldn't stack up to anything else. It almost makes you feel like now, well, you got a moral victory, but we've seen that before. Who cares? You can't judge it on the same line. There are different stories here. And I, it is your right as a fan to expect more and want to see wins at some point. And I get that. I'm all about that. But I'm telling you right now, this program is starting to turn. It's starting to turn for the better. And through all the moral victories in the past, it hasn't felt like this, has it? Now, maybe you could go back, I, I don't know, I was seven, eight years old when Mark Mangino took over and, and started to get things going at Kansas. So for those of you football fans who, who have been a part of it through then, maybe you had similar feelings to what's going on right now. I don't know. But I will tell you this. From all my years in, you know, attending KU, covering KU, being on the show, nothing has felt quite like a turning point for KU football than we've seen right now. And that makes this Saturday's game on senior day all the more exciting. That makes headed into the offseason all the more exciting. And, of course, you need to follow it up with another good performance against West Virginia. Because if you go out there on Saturday and you lose 50 to nothing, all this momentum you built, it doesn't go away, but it mitigates. And I don't know how you couldn't be any more pleased with how the end of this season to this point has so far gone for KU with Lance Leipold and the new coaching staff. Now, for the game itself, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. You had a really strong first half. You led 14-7 to at halftime, but just a horrible third quarter. Not enough execution in certain areas, right? I mean, how, how much does that missed field goal come back to bite you now, right? You lose the game on a field goal as time expires. Otherwise, that would have been, you know, TCU wouldn't have been running the clock out late, so they would have been trying to get a touchdown. Maybe they would have, but you just think off the top of your head, well, maybe this game goes to overtime, and then who knows what happens there. We just saw what happened in an overtime game the week before. Uh, but between the missed field goal, defense really struggling in the second half. You gave up over 300 rushing yards. The The missed tackling continued to be an issue. That was one of KU's worst tackling games. When you look at pro football focus, which is saying something because they've had some tough ones this year, um, I, I still get bothered by the fact that you have a staff that is so aggressive, which is awesome, how how aggressive they have been on fourth downs this year. Yet, despite that, it seems like they run every second and 10, which seems so counterintuitive to being aggressive on fourth downs, to be so non-aggressive on second and 10. But all that aside, Jalen Daniels, fantastic once again. 22 of 30, 255 yards, couple touchdowns to one interception 
which Lance Leipold said today on the presser. He said, you know, still not a ball that he should have thrown, but we actually had a lineup issue or a, a formation issue where somebody in the backfield was on the wrong side. And had he been in the right spot, it would keep that player out of that area, right? It would have basically moved the player to a different spot where, because the guy who made that interception wasn't the guy covering the receiver. It was another defensive back who was in the area and just undercut it because he read the play well. Well, he shouldn't have even been in that area to make the play. So uh, that important to bring up. And then Jalen Daniels also had the rushing touchdown as well. He was so good. And again, so good in the clutch moments, so good in the big moments. You're down 28 to 14 in the fourth quarter. How many times would you think that, you know, it, it very easily that game could have turned into a little bit of what we saw in the Baylor game in Lawrence earlier this year, right? KU is down 14-7 at halftime and into the third quarter, and then Baylor just blows them out of the water in the second half. KU's up 14-7 at halftime this time. They're down 28-14. They could have very easily just quit on that game and ended up losing 42-14, right? But they didn't, and they bounced back, and Jalen Daniels is so good in the clutch moments. I tweeted this out earlier. Jalen Daniels, his total QBR on ESPN, and yes, it is a small sample size because he's only started two games and he's appeared in a couple others, notably the Kansas State game where he actually got like time passing the football. His total QBR, which is out of 100, is 88.5. Out of comparison, the leader in the Big 12 right now for qualified quarterbacks is Jerry Bohannon, the quarterback at Baylor. His total QBR is a 74.3. So Jalen Daniels, again, in a small sample size, has played like the best quarterback in the Big 12 the last two weeks. That is how good he has been. Jared Casey, also awesome. Again, four catches. He had the touchdown grab that ended up allowing you to tie the game. This is not just going to be a situation of a guy who made one play and that's all that he's going to be remembered for. Certainly, the Texas play might end up being the play that we remember the most. This dude's still a redshirt freshman. And you heard Lance Leipold last week on the presser say, or that was Andy Kotelnicki actually, saying he has the best hands on the team. Now you're starting to see it. You know, I, I think you have questions of, well, in what situations can you use a 5'9 tight end? You can't really use him like a, a big tight end where they go over the middle and you throw them a jump ball or something, but there's still ways you can use them. And Jared Casey is starting to become a real player in this offense. That was cool to see. I also hope that Kwame Lassiter gets his just due for how important of a player he's been to this program. Came in as a walk-on, earned a scholarship, was the leading receiver a season ago. This year, he's been the leading receiver over 600 receiving yards, over 100 yards in the game against TCU. And it's not just, like, he has taken, a, there's so many young players on this receiving group for KU. I mentioned in the offseason, 13 of the 16, I think, players in the receiver room for KU were underclassmen. He's been the veteran. He's the lone senior of this receiver group. He's taken guys under his wing. He's just a leader on the team in general, and he's been really good for this team. There's a chance he ends up in the top 10 in both receiving yards and catches based on what he does on Saturday in KU history. And he's been nails, and he was, once again, big time for you in the game on Saturday. Um, and then other notes from the game, Jason Bean, that was kind of interesting, used as a skill player for a few snaps. He had the one run as the running back. He had 
a snap where you threw him the ball. Neither really worked. I think you might have gained a collective one yard on the two plays. But I, I, I like the I like the ideas here, right? You're talking about he might just be the fastest guy on the team. If not, he's in the discussion. He's in like probably the top five on the team in terms of speed. So if he's not going to be playing quarterback, why not get him on the field? And and that becomes important for a couple different reasons. One, again, get players who are fast and good in open space on the field and, and the ball in their hands in any way you can. But also, as you if Jalen Daniels has another solid performance against West Virginia, we're going to go into the offseason just assuming that Jalen Daniels is the starting quarterback next season. And at that point, he would only be a, I guess he'd be a third-year sophomore because the COVID year wouldn't count headed into next year. And if you're Jason Bean, you'd be a junior slash senior. Again, I don't, I don't know how it all works with redshirting and, and COVID, what he's considered, but you wonder if he would consider transferring again. Now, he's already used his free transfer. Does that maybe thwart him? But if you start to get him snaps on the field elsewhere, maybe you convince him to to stay and, and try out a different position if that is the situation. I, I don't know, but I, I did find that to be at least interesting, and I'll be curious to see if they do that again at any point this weekend. Uh, they might have to at running back because they might be kind of thin this week. Devin Neal got injured at the end of the first half, missed the second half. I still have always liked all season long Amori Pesic Hickson and kind of been waiting for him to have a, a breakout after he had some nice flashes last season. We just haven't really seen it by opportunity because he was behind Devin Neal. You know, deservedly so. Devin Neal is is fantastic. Um, behind Tory Lachlan, was behind Velton Gardner earlier on in the season when he was injured. Now might be the time for, for that breakout to finally happen for uh, Amori Pesic Hickson. And outside of that, I don't believe they have another scholarship running back on the roster. So Jason Bean might be getting some more playing time at the running back position. Who knows? Maybe Jared Casey played running back in high school. Get him some snaps at, at running back. Uh, the final note from the game, pro football focus grades. KU has strung together now. It's top two offensive performances back-to-back weeks. Um, tackling was, as I mentioned, a huge struggle for KU, but they also had one of their top pass rushing games and coverage games. And I, I think all things considered, I was actually pleasantly surprised the way the defense played when you just look at it as an overall body of work. The second half was super troublesome for the defense. You know, you give up 24 points. You couldn't really stop them. But I think where I'm at with this year's defense, obviously you hope this gets fixed as soon as next year and in the years to come. But we've seen it all year long with this defense. They've struggled. The least amount of points that they had given up in a game was 35. They did that against Kansas State and against Oklahoma in both of those games were lower possession games, especially the Oklahoma one. So you gave up your least amount of points in a Big 12 game and in an FBS game. The only game, you know, you gave up less is, is the South Dakota game. But to FBS opponents, the TCU, you gave up 31 was enough. So just having one good half leading to your overall best game, obviously not good enough overall, but it's improvement at the very least. And I think from a defense that has been one of the worst in the country so far this season, You'll take just one good half, honestly, at this point in time because they were really good in the first half and then they really struggled in the second half. And the good news now, like that TCU offense was a top 40 offense in in college football. Uh, West Virginia's offense is ranked 77th in the country in ESPN SP+. That is by far the lowest in the Big 12. So you come out off your maybe best defensive performance overall because you had your best maybe half of performance outside of the first half against Oklahoma. But again, that was also possession-driven. 
And now you have a good opportunity against West Virginia offense that has been inconsistent as well to try to have a new best performance and kind of send out the seniors in a winning way. But uh, lots of positivity and, and I think excitement about where this KU football program is moving forward right now. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Let's hear some press conference audio from Lance Leipold next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Welcome back in Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Join now by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals. Uh, John, I, I was kind of talking about this earlier on in the show, the fact that you know we're starting to see KU string together good performances and how that's been you know something that maybe has been different than years past, where you win a game or you're competitive and then the next week it doesn't happen. And we saw that earlier this year with Oklahoma and then Oklahoma State where you weren't competitive the second time around. Now, maybe looking back, uh, Oklahoma State is actually like a really, really good football team, so maybe easier to excuse, but now you do have those back-to-back performances to go with. And I'm kind of curious, do you think, because all season long, we've talked about how, you know, this team has been behind the eight ball without the spring practices with the coaching staff. And I'm kind of pondering over the idea that is, is this finally seeing the fruits of the labor where KU's staff isn't necessarily playing catch up from the lack of spring practices anymore? Do you think, that could be a reason why we're seeing a more competitive team now? Yeah, Derek, you know, when you take over a program in May, okay, and then when you take it over, the week after they took it over, the players all went home before they reported back to campus in June to start their off-season lifting, and they didn't even get to coach until the first week of August, and then they get them for four weeks, and then you're playing. I think right now you are starting to see the effects of a program and a system starting to get in place, okay? And that that doesn't happen in four weeks, but you're starting to see it. I think this is a great sign because I think you're going to see it a lot more next year. Take take this one. I, I asked Lance about this in his press conference. I looked this up. Right now, they are they have they, they are second in the country in least penalty yards, and over the last three weeks, they're the least penalized team in America. Okay, so that shows you that what the coaches are trying to tell them, like, hey, guys, listen, we can't afford to be the most penalized team. We can't afford to be their top 15 and least sacks given up. We we have to do the little things, right? This is what coaches are telling the players. We have to do these things to win and be in games. And that, to me, is you're starting to see the sign of coaching when over the last three weeks they're the least penalized team in the country. And the players are starting to absorb what the coaches are telling. I think it's interesting, too, you mentioned the sack part of it, which I I think without a doubt the offensive line has looked better and has played better. So that's obviously a a big reason why. And I think Scott Fuchs, the offensive line coach, is a big reason why that's all happening. But I, I, I was just thinking back to something that, that he said when we got to talk to Scott Fuchs um, during KU football's like training in August. And one of the things somebody asked was was in regards to all of the sacks they gave up a season ago. I think they were giving up like five a game or something like that, which is just insane how, how many they were giving up. And one thing that he said was, 
you know, like clearly the offensive line needs to play better and we need to do things better, but there are other things we can do to minimize how many sacks we have, whether it's getting rid of the ball, whether it's uh, having help from a running back or a tight end to come over. There's certain things that we can do. And I kind of read into that, the idea that maybe in years past, KU and last year specifically, was almost trying to fit a a square peg into a round hole, the idea that um, you were just going to try to run whatever you wanted to do offensively, even if the offensive line wasn't good enough for it and you weren't going to adjust for it. And maybe this year they're adjusting better. Uh, How much of that do you view as being progress for the offensive line, the fact that it is just kind of being coached better or schemed better with the offense. Yeah, you know, Derek, I think it's a. I think there's several factors in on that. Um, one of them, obviously, is coaching with what folks is showing them and how how they've progressed over the season. The other thing is is the fact these kids are all getting used to each other. Okay, I mean, Nowitzki transferred in at center. Ford transferred in. He was a right tackle. Grunhard got hurt. They moved him to right guard. Cable do went back up to right tackle. You've had Malik Clark go down, Joey Gilbertson stepping in for him. And just over time, that offensive line takes chemistry. They're starting to mesh together. They're all starting to figure out where they're supposed to go, what they're supposed to do, and they're all getting used to playing to each other. So I think it's almost like everything at one time coming together. Everything Fuchs has been teaching is now coming together, and they're all understanding where they're all supposed to be because that's not easy these guys have all had to learn a new system, the wide zone blocking system. They had to learn that in fall camp. And then they had to learn each other because that, that's a big thing. When you talk to offensive line coaches in the past, and when you have successful offensive lines, they'll all tell you it's about chemistry and those guys all being on the same page. We're talking with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. If I gave you all categories except for that offensive line. Um, what element of play uh, on the football field do you think you've noticed as being the biggest change or biggest improvement from where this team was at the beginning of the year to where they are now? You know, I think it's the fact that they're starting to believe and a fact that the program is starting to get built. And what I mean by that, Derek, last week against TCU, probably the biggest time I've seen all season that signifies what's going on in the program was against TCU. They fall down 14 points, okay? But they fight back to tie it up at 28-28 in the fourth quarter. That, to me, probably is a bigger bigger signal than anything yet that I've seen because the kids didn't throw the talent. Listen, you've seen it. I've seen it. We've seen past KU teams dating back years and years, okay? When they're in a game and they finally fall down 14 points in the fourth quarter, it's time to wave the white flag and, hey, we played a competitive game. We were in this. Hey, good deal. That that wasn't the case Saturday. Saturday it was, let's find a way to get back in this. Let's find a way to win this game. And they came back and they fought back. And I don't think, I don't know that we've seen that in a long time. Yeah, it almost feels like in, in years past, it's like if they're going to win a game, you have to, to start hot like you did against Texas. But they almost come out with the victory in that one. Uh, so senior day is Saturday, KU West Virginia, 6 o'clock. You can hear it right here on KLWN. Our Mama's Tamale Shop pregame starts at 3.30. Uh, what seniors really stick out to you with either their play or a story or whatnot headed in to this senior day matchup on Saturday? Yeah, well, there's two that definitely come to mind. I mean, Kwame Lasseter, who shows up as a walk-on, okay? And just how much he's come through 
and how much better he's gotten. I mean, I think he's going to have a chance to play in the NFL. I really do. And I, I don't know if I'd have said that two years ago. You know, Leipold said today in his press conference some of the things that he's been able to do by catching the ball. And instead of just going out of bounds now, he stops and he turns up field and he fights for yardage. Just the mentality change he's had. Okay? So that's one on the offensive side. The other guy that really stands out is Kyron Johnson. And, you know, he's really been the only true pass rushing, pass rushing edge. And, I mean, that's something they're going to have to definitely address in the offseason. But Kyron Johnson is one of those kids. He came back for a super senior year. He's got great tools off the edge. He's, the, he's really the only guy, if you've watched, that has been able to put any pressure on a quarterback. So he will definitely be missed. But those two guys right there kind of signify that they came back for their super senior years and, and have provided a lot of leadership in this transition year that they won't be around in the future to hopefully reap some of the, some of the benefits of the coaching change and where the program could go. What are your uh, thoughts overall on the matchup with KU and West Virginia? Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to see. Gosh, you know, I've seen West Virginia. I've seen them look good. And and I said this about TCU last week, okay? I mean, I've watched TCU put up 560 yards against Baylor, okay? And I I said it, it depends which TCU team shows up last week. Well, the bad TCU team, well, I don't want to say bad, but the the, the below average TCU team showed up in the first half and the and the pretty good TCU team showed up in the second half. So, it's going to be more about what shows up for West Virginia. Is it the team that has, has beaten some good teams and, and, you know, taken teams to the wire? I mean, gosh, I watched them play against Oklahoma earlier in the year, and defensively, they've got some talent, some skill, and some speed. So, you know, it's a night game. It's in Lawrence. You know, they, they do have something to play for, okay? Beating Texas this past Saturday gives them five wins. So one more win, and they're going to a bowl. So there's an incentive for them to show up and play well. Derek, it really comes down to, you know, gosh, you you sit here and you say, God, can Kansas just put one more performance together like they've had the last two weeks, which I really think they, they, they have a chance to. I think the kids are playing hard. I think they've bought into what the coaches are selling. So I think it's got all the makings of a good game. How much uh, from a recruiting aspect do you think successes of guys like Devin Neal who are from Lawrence or Jared Casey from Plainville how much of those guys doing well do you think is going to impact local recruiting here for this year and just kind of moving forward oh I think it can have a big impact I really do hey listen throw Joey Gilbertson in there you know he's from Wichita and he, he came in against Texas and then he played the whole game the other day against TCU you know, he's just kind of been waiting in the wings. I thought, uh, you know, he's played well. So there's some Kansas kids they can sell to show what they're doing. You know, I don't know how much it'll help this year in this class. I think a lot of this year's class will be more of a focus maybe on more mature, developed guys, possibly from the portal or from the junior college ranks. And this is a great year to go after junior college players because a lot of them get an extra year of eligibility. But I think it's going to help more in the 2023 class and beyond. And, you know, they've already offered over 175 players in the 2023 class. So that's going to be a big high school base for that. And I think that's where you're going to see them start to sell the kids for next year's class. Hey, look what we started to do. Look what we built. You can be part of this. This is what that's what Mangino did. I remember talking to recruits in 2003 and 2004 who were starting to say, "Hey, I see what's going on in Lawrence." Daryl Stuckey and Jake Sharps and Kerry Myers and some of those guys. Hey, I see what's going on in there. I want to be a part of it. So they've got to take that momentum 
and show the progress that they've had toward the end of the season here and sell it with that 2023 class and beyond. We're talking with John Kirby here of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals for a few more minutes. Um, I know we've talked in the past about KU using the the transfer portal this offseason to sure up some spots. Uh, with the early signing period, I, I know that's coming up in December, is that something with the transfer portal that you think we're going to start seeing lots of coming up soon, or is the transfer portal stuff more something we're going to probably not see till later on, maybe in the spring? Well, Derek, I think, well, I think you're going to see a couple things. I think you'll see it early, okay? But I don't know if you're going to see a lot of confirmations out there of commitments and things, and I'm going to tell you why. With the transfer portal, it's different than anything else because those players are not bound to the school, okay? So let's just say we'll just say player A. Kansas brings him in for an official visit in the middle of December, and he says, hey, I want to be a Jayhawk. And he tells the staff he commits, okay? And then he goes back home. His Christmas break comes and goes, and he's supposed to be on campus January 20th, all right? Let's say January 10th, some school, good program, close to his home, decides, hey, we need a guy at his position. So they call this guy, and they say, we've got a scholarship for you. He can change his mind at any time until he gets on campus and goes to a class. So I think, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be one of these cat and mouse games with the portal all the way through January. And then, like you said, then I think you're going to have another round that comes in the spring because you're going to see some players go, God, I don't know if I'm going to win a starting job or, you know, I just, I want to go somewhere else. And I think you're going to see another round of portal fire up after spring football. But for the time being, the players that are in the portal now that want to be somewhere in January and, and enroll somewhere, there's going to be a lot of action on going on behind the scenes. But I don't know that we'll have a clear idea on guys that are going to go to Kansas until sometime in you know probably mid to late January. Uh, is there anything else on, on kind of the recruiting front, whether it's players, commitments, visits, uh, Anything else with, with signing day coming up that, that we should be keeping an eye on for KU? Yeah, you know, there's um, – I talked to Deshaun Singleton, who's a, a defensive back at the Hutchinson Community College. He had an interception yesterday. They won the uh, KJCCC Net, uh, Division Championship, Conference Championship. There's also a defensive end who I think, if they could get him, would be that type of pass rush replacement for Kyron Johnson. His name is Nadane Tucker. Uh, so there's a couple guys who will visit this weekend. And, and you know, I expect, Derek, I expect the an, initial signing class in December to be fairly small. I think it's to be a, be a small group of high school players who are committed. Uh, you know, maybe one or two surprise high school players come here over the next four weeks. I don't know it. And then maybe a small amount of junior college players. And I think that's going to kind of make up your early signing class. He is John Kirby. You can check out all his work with Jayhawk Slant, Rivals.com. Uh, John, thank you so much for the time as always, man, and uh, looking forward to seeing what KU does this Saturday against West Virginia. All right, Derek, thanks for having me. All right, that was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant Rivals joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. We'll have that KU football game for you against West Virginia at 6 o'clock this Saturday on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Pre-game starts at 4.30. Our extended pre-game with myself, Scott Chasen, at a Mama's Tamale shop starts at 3.30 this Saturday. We'll have some tickets for the game between KU and West Virginia. One hour down, two to go. Let's talk some Chiefs next. 
4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. One of the best things about the week of Thanksgiving, we just have, like, sports on all the time. We I've got the, the Maui Invitational, which, weirdly enough, is being played in Las Vegas. On the TV, Houston is just dominating Butler right now. Uh, you're going to have plenty of college basketball. You know, I always call them preseason tournaments, but that's not the right term because it's not preseason, but... Before the conference, I guess pre-conference play tournaments um, going on. You have a big week in college football. You know, NFL still ongoing. It's just a wonderful week for, you know, watching a bunch of sports and, and eating a bunch of food and not having to get on your diet till you know, after the week or when the year ends. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, KU, by the way, the schedule for this week is, is going to be kind of weird. Obviously, you'll be able to hear all the games here on KLWN. Uh, we have Hawk Talk tomorrow night. With Lance Leipold. I don't believe there is a Bill Self men's hawk talk. Then we have KU men's basketball. They're taking on North Texas at 1 o'clock on Thursday. So pregame will start at 1130 here on KLWN. If Depending if they win or lose. If they win that game, they'll play a little bit later against um, the winner of Miami and Dayton. I believe at, at noon. Obviously, it's kind of dependent on the game before it when that ends, and then you start, I think, 20 minutes after that game ends, so it could be a little different than that, but that would be at noon. If they lose to North Texas, they would play at 10 a.m. against Dayton or Miami, and then the championship game would be on Sunday, which could be at a multitude of different times, depending if they're in the winner's bracket, loser's bracket, you know, first-place game, third-place game, fifth-place game, whatever it is. We'll also have KU football against West Virginia Saturday at 6 o'clock, pregame at 4.30. We'll have our Mama's Tamale Shop pregame from 3.30 to 4.30, which you can come on out. We're going to have tickets for KU West Virginia, so come on out to Mama's Tamale Shop this Saturday for that, getting you ready for the game, and then we'll switch over to coverage of KU women's basketball on Saturday in the, the 7 o'clock hour, and you can obviously hear all the games, the KU football and KU basketball on our sister station 105.9 KISS. So, do you have that all covered? You know, um, we will quiz you on this tomorrow, so you better be listening to everything I just said there, and I, I hope you know. Uh, the Chiefs took down the Cowboys yesterday, 19-9. to Get this, the Chiefs are the first team this season to have a stretch of four straight games without giving up 20 points. So, of all the teams in the NFL, they are the first to do that. From as bad as the defense started, they have figured something out over these last four weeks. And there still is the caveat there of, well, in a couple of them, you played Jordan Love in his first ever start, who did not look good at all, and you played Daniel Jones. But you also still played against, you know, a Raiders team that has had a pretty solid offense so far this season. And now you get the crown jewel of, your defensive performances, and the crown jewel victory of the season. This is your best win of the year, beating the Cowboys. And even then, there still are some, you know, asterisks, footnotes there. CeeDee Lamb gets injured on the last play of the first half. But also, the Chiefs were shutting CeeDee Lamb down in the first half to begin with. Amari Cooper obviously not being there, I'm sure, really hurt things for the Cowboys. But again, even despite all that, you still had the Cowboys with your quarterback, Dak Prescott, you know, um, that's kind of the main piece of things. And they were number one in the NFL in points per game. They were number one in the NFL in total yards per game. He held them to 
points. What a performance by the defense. What a come up from where this defense was early on in the season when they legitimately looked like one of the worst defenses in NFL history. And over these past four weeks, we're seeing maybe some reversion to the mean. We're also seeing a much better defense. There are tangible things you can point at and say, this is why the defense is better. Chris Jones moving to the inside. Boom, his three and a half sacks yesterday and also tips a pass that gets intercepted at the end of the game. He is a absolutely dominant player when he's playing on the interior of the defensive line. When he's as a defensive end, you basically are getting just average play. So to move him back to the interior, that represents a big change in your defense. Frank Clark continues to look a lot healthier and a lot better as a pass rusher. Dare I even say that we could be trending toward, like Frank Clark stacks up what he has done the last three or four weeks and continues this through the rest of the season. It seemed like an afterthought that Frank Clark, this next offseason, would be cut by the Chiefs to save a bunch of money. Well, I mean, if, if he keeps playing like this, where he does look like a Pro Bowl defensive end, that's obviously a premium position. You start to talk yourself back into, no, okay, he, he's going to be on the team next year too, which is, again, pretty crazy. So you have that all happening. Um, at linebacker, Willie Gay getting healthy, being more in, into the rotation. He almost got a couple of interceptions in that game. They barely just missed, and I have a feeling one's coming pretty soon. Nick Bolton, we know what he is. He can struggle against the pass, but he is great against the run, and that really helps you against a team like the Cowboys who can run the football, and then you set yourself up into more passing situations. You can always sub him out on third down and long. You're playing Juan Thornhill more over Daniel Sorensen. And now your your corners were healthy, although we don't know if that's going to be the case moving forward. Rashad Fenton went down with an injury, and that would be a big loss because he's been a really good corner for the team, especially in the slot. But Traverius Ward and, and Legereus Sneed, like Sneed has been a linebacker in terms of his secure tackles. He's been so good at getting those. Traverius Ward and him have really been an underrated duo, and, and that's what we've said all along. Like these these Chiefs defensive backs, when you get solid pass rush, they're a good unit. But when you're not getting any pass rush like they were earlier in the season, then you're going to start to notice some of the flaws more. And we saw that against the Cowboys. The pass rush was there. The coverage was fantastic. Unbelievable performance from that Chiefs defense overall. And I think the most compelling part of it all was because it was against the Dallas Cowboys and the number one offense in the NFL, you really do get the feeling that it is more sustainable. And it goes two ways. It's both from what I said. This is your best win of the season overall, and this is your best performance from the defense. Both of those make you feel really good moving forward. And now you're talking about being 7-4, and four, headed into the bye week. You're going to be favored in your next game, which is home against the Broncos, and then home against the Raiders. You're going to be favored in both of those. And that could set things up for a pretty big showdown on Thursday night in L.A. to take on the Chargers. But if you, you know, if you win these next three games by beating all divisional opponents, two at home, the other against the Chargers, that puts you at 10-4. and four. And that would, the Chargers are 6-5 and five right now. By beating them again, it would get them to six losses. If they were to lose one other time in the next three weeks, you could basically come close to clinching the division in the next three weeks. 
That's how crazy of a turnaround this has been for the Chiefs. All these other teams just lose around them in the AFC. And it's wild how they're doing this. Their first four games, they struggled so much. They were putting up massive point totals. And again, Sunday wasn't one of their best offensive performances. But the defense stepped up. Offense did leave something to be desired. Um, mainly for me, it was the continued turnovers. The Patrick Mahomes fumble. The Travis, uh, the, the interception that was a Travis Kelsey drop. You know, again, that's a typical one that we don't blame Mahomes for. But it's still a Chiefs turnover. And those continue to happen, which is worrisome that they continue to avoid having those happen to them. So there was something left to be desired. You have the turnovers. You only scored 19 points. But I I also, you know, I, I don't come away from this game similarly at all to how I felt after the Giants or the Packers game with the offense where it was like, what's wrong? To me, this felt like more of something that, hey, here or there, it's it's a little more fixable. It's not an overwhelming what's wrong issue. Cowboys are still, I, I think they're eighth in the NFL in defense right now. So this is a solid defense. And you weren't far off from a lot more if you think about the offensive side of the ball. Even um, one of those field goal drives, if one of those ends in a touchdown, okay, boom, now you're in the 20s. Again, the, the Kelsey drop, that was an interception. It's not just that that was a turnover, gave them the ball. You were driving. That drive probably ends in points if you're the Chiefs. You're on their side of the field. You're heading in toward the red zone. You're probably getting at least three there. You might be getting seven on that drive. So now all of a sudden you're at more. Uh, if you kick a field goal, that last drive in, instead of punting, which to be clear, I that I think was the right decision. You know, if you kicked a field goal there when it was 19-9 to nine and you make it, they still need two touchdowns to win. Whereas if you miss the field goal, they get great field position. So if you punt it, they still need two touchdowns to win. Just pin them deep and make them go further. I thought that was the right decision and cool little play to have Butker do the, the pooch punt. But just in, in speaking in terms of the offense that I'm not overly concerned here, like I was a couple weeks ago with some bad performances, if you kick the field goal there, you're in the 20s. So again... There are very easy ways to go through this and say, okay, well, if they kick a field goal at the end, they're at 22. If they score a touchdown instead of getting a field goal on one of those other field goal drives, you know, maybe you go for it on the fourth and three, a couple drives to four instead of kicking a field goal, then maybe all of a sudden now instead of uh, 22 points, you're at, what, 25, 26 points. And then the Travis Kelsey interception doesn't happen. He holds on to the football. Then you're getting another field goal or touchdown. All of a sudden you're at 29 or 33 points. It's worrisome that you have similar issues with the turnovers and, and things that continue to plague you, I guess. But it just it, it feels a little more correctable that it was small mistakes that I'm not expecting to continue. Because Michael Parsons was on one yesterday. That dude is an absolute stud that they got in the first round of the draft. Uh, clearly going to end up being the defensive rookie of the year. Sometimes that just happens with another player kind of taking over. But we saw all the things that you would hope to see for the Chiefs' offense to be successful against the kind of, you know, too high safety, too shell kind of concept that has been giving them issues. We saw patience from Patrick Mahomes. He continued to take the check down. He continued to take the short routes or throw it out into the flats and let somebody make move. We saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire come back and return, and I thought he looked really good. 
he was he was squeezing between you know tight holes on the offensive line. He was reading the right hole. He was making guys miss in kind of tight windows. I thought Clyde Edwards-Alaire played really well in that return. So you combine that with Mahomes being patient. Um, the classic Andy Reid plays worked, right? You think about the Travis Kelsey touchdown run on that unique formation. You know, that was the Andy Reid gadget play. You think about the, uh, this one's not really an Andy Reid gadget play, but just a, I guess, trick play in general. The little reverse play to Tyree Kill gets him like 30, 35 yards on the first drive. So you had your little classic Andy Reid trick plays or, or gadget plays working. Um, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill were both plenty involved in the offense. Neither one was just completely shut out. Both had over 70 yards receiving. McCole Hardman was limited to just 12 snaps, which I think is a good thing for the offense. I mean, that's a lot of positives that you can point to for just what happened for a game where you do feel like there was something to be desired left over and that there were opportunities for you to get more points. But considering all those things that went well and that a lot of those things feel like they were so close to you going the other way with an offense that in the past has worked very well and just as soon as last week seemed to have figured things out, I still feel confident in the offense moving forward, and I don't feel any worse about the offense after that game, but you do feel a lot better about the defense and the state overall of the team after beating the Cowboys 19-9. Long-term, you do need to get the offense going because it was a little frustrating. You just couldn't put the game away. It felt like you had so many opportunities to kind of step on their throat and go up maybe 26-9, to make it a three-score game, and really put the nail in the coffin. Again, you still had the two turnovers. You still just had 19 points. But the fact that you got a win in general against Dallas is what overcomes, honestly, more than anything there besides those, you know, notes about the Chiefs, about Clyde playing well or Mahomes continuing to be patient or the Andy Reid trick plays that we come to love when it's working, actually working out in that game. Because this isn't the win against the Giants with Daniel Jones or a win over Jordan Love in his first start, you're not only supposed to win, but the expectation going into those games that you're supposed to dominate, and they didn't. In this game, you came into it knowing any win was going to be great because the Cowboys are a real threat to winning the NFC. That is a very good football team. That is a real Super Bowl contender. So, yes, certainly things to fix for the Chiefs. But, again, take a step back. You're now 7-4. and four headed into a bye week. You just went 3-0 and in a stretch, we said, coming into it, when the Chiefs were sitting at 4-4, four and we said, if you go 2-1, and you're going to be feeling better about this team because you're going to be 6-5. and You're going to have maybe a few easier games coming up after that. 2-1, and I'll take it. If you go 1-2, and that still might be manageable in the next three games to make a wild card. You just can't go 0-3. But if you go 3-0, and Boy, are we going to be having some fun conversations about this team. And boy, are we going to feel like they figured things out. And I'm here today to tell you they did go 3-0. and And boy, did it feel like they have figured some things out. You're in first of the division. The AFC around you is crumbling team by team. The Bills continue to struggle. The Titans have now lost to the Jets and the Texans. Kansas City Chiefs. People keep asking if I'm back. And I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. They're John Wick. I'm thinking they're back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. It is a Monday. That means it's time for our NFL Monday overreactions. Just myself today. I'll get it started with the first one. The Indianapolis Colts will go further in the playoffs this season than the New England Patriots. Everybody is all about the New England Patriots right now. They've moved their way up to seven and four. They're winning the AFC East. I'm still not totally buying into them yet. I think they're a good team. I think they're a team that could win a playoff game. I think the Colts are a very dangerous team. You're talking about maybe the best running back in the NFL in Jonathan Taylor, certainly right now with Derrick Henry being injured. A really good run-blocking offensive line. And you're talking about a defense that plays physical and is really good. And I've always liked their head coach, Frank Reich. He's really good with analytics. I think the Colts could be legit. And and they're doing all this. Like, they win the game yesterday against the Bills, blow them out on the road, I think 41 to 15. Carson Wentz had like 110 passing yards on 20 attempts in that game. Now, I am very much not a really Carson Wentz believer. But if you did that with Carson Wentz playing like that, I still think Carson Wentz is better than that. I think the Colts are going to go further than the Patriots in the playoffs. This is a team I would not want to be playing. They're dangerous right now. I still think the Titans end up winning that division. They have the sweep over the Colts, so the Colts would have to finish a game better than the Titans. They're still two games behind them, which basically means they're three games behind without the tiebreaker. And you look at the Titans, the rest of their schedule, it's it's pretty hard to find them collapsing that much. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Titans end up being out as soon as the playoffs start, if, you know, the Patriots are playing either the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Bills, you know, down the list, they're not going to have the quarterback advantage in the playoffs, which when they went on all these runs with Tom Brady, they did have the quarterback advantage in addition to the coaching advantage and maybe a better defense and all these things. Mac Jones is a good rookie quarterback, but that's what he is. He's a good rookie quarterback. As far as once you compare him to the Pantheon around the NFL, he's not a top 10 quarterback right now. So I think the Colts have kind of an interesting recipe. They've figured some things out. And and now, like that game where they blew the, you know, two-score lead in the fourth quarter against the Ravens, if they hold on and and don't blow that game and they beat the Ravens, what are we talking about here? Because now they'd be 7-4. and I think they've already won like four or five in a row. And, And they had a couple early losses, too, that were close that they could very easily be a lot different. Colts, I think, are a team that's pretty legit. All right, my second NFL Monday overreaction. The Tennessee Titans trading for Julio Jones was one of the worst offseason moves in the NFL this season. They gave up a second-round pick this year, plus they gave up a fourth and a sixth the year after for a receiver who has, so far this season, again, the Titans have played 11 games. Julio Jones has caught 21 passes. Now, he hasn't played in all of those. He played in six of them. But that's part of it, too. What's the saying? Best ability is availability. He's been both hurt and ineffective in the lineup. And even if he did, if you did figure he could play all 17 games, which I don't think that'd be fair to assume that, but even if you just prorated out his stats to play all 17 games, he still wouldn't be on pace for 1,000 yards. He still doesn't even have a receiving touchdown. This year for the Titans, and yet again, as I mentioned, he had the injury issues, which I think myself included, a lot of people were willing to kind of discount 
the fact that he had injury issues the season go with Atlanta because he hadn't really had a ton of injury issues in the past, but people questioned if he was injury prone now. And I think the answer to that might actually be yes. He might be getting to an age where injuries are starting to catch up with him a little bit more. And that combined with just a lack of either production or getting him involved or maybe playing hurt and not being as effective have made this a very non-efficient trade for the Tennessee Titans. Because not only did they give up all those picks, a second, fourth, and sixth, he counts against not a ton this year, four and a half million against the cap. But each of the next two seasons, he will count for over $14 million against the cap. And right now, he is not even giving you receiver number two value for the Tennessee Titans. Okay, uh, my third NFL Monday overreaction. Colt McCoy is better than at least 10 NFL starting quarterbacks. Colt McCoy has led the Arizona Cardinals to two wins here. They blew out the San Francisco 49ers on the road, a team who, since that loss, has won two in a row, including against the Rams on uh, Sunday night a week prior. And then they went on the road against Seattle with Russell Wilson back in the fold. Colt McCoy is keeping things afloat for Arizona, and they continue to be one of the best teams in the NFL. Now, if you want me to handpick 10 quarterbacks that I think right now Colt McCoy is better than, again, this doesn't mean, you know, like long-term, I'm taking Trevor Lawrence to eventually be better than Colt McCoy, but right now Colt McCoy is better than Trevor Lawrence. Like, I think he's better than Justin Fields right now. Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, Ben Roethlisberger, although he did play pretty well last night. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I think he's better than him, although that'd probably be a close debate. Uh, Tua has not been very good, better than him. Daniel Jones, that would be kind of interesting. And then uh, whatever combo you'd want to go out with, Davis Mills or Tyrod Taylor, whoever you think the Houston starting quarterback should be. I think Colt McCoy is just as good, if not better, than all of those guys on that list. And this isn't to say that you know Colt McCoy needs to be a starting quarterback next year, but I think he might be the best backup in the NFL. And certainly it shows the value of having a good backup in the NFL. I've always been kind of perplexed by the fact that Chad Henney has stuck around the Chiefs as the backup for so long. And Chad Henney comes in, and, and everybody will just remember the, the playoff game against the Browns where he makes the big play at the end. He has the scramble to bring him to fourth and short, and then he hits the big fourth down play. And, and that'll be the legacy of Chad Henney with the Chiefs, which is very fair. But Chad Henney has, like, way more interceptions than touchdowns for his career. And, you know, he had that bad interception in that game against the Browns. I, I don't want to sit here and, like, you know, poop on the legacy of Chad Henney. Because, again, he's been in the NFL for 15 years. Like, that's awesome. He's made millions of dollars. He's a fine backup. I just, I, I'm not sure he'd rank in the top half of backups in the NFL. At some point, you'd think the Chiefs would want to maybe upgrade that in case Patrick Mahomes were to ever get hurt again, which, knock on wood, you hope that that doesn't happen. But Colt McCoy might be as good as they come as, as far as backups go. He has been really, really good for the Arizona Cardinals this season, and they haven't really missed a beat with him in there for uh, Kyler Murray. Okay, my fourth and final NFL Monday overreaction. The Philadelphia Eagles are playoff bound. They have figured something out. They're putting up 30 or more in three of their last four games, and that includes the dominant outing on Sunday against the Saints defense, which... Coming in, the Saints had one of the better defenses in the NFL. I think they were the best defense against the run in the NFL. Eagles ran all over them. It seems like they're steering more into the idea of 
Like early in the season, it was, hey, let's see if we can turn Jalen Hurts into a passer and, and run this spread offense. And lately, it seems like it's turned more into, no, we're just going to like steer into the running portion of this, and we're going to make that a weapon. And it's worked. Like I said, 30 and 3 of the last four games, 40 and 2 of the last four games, including on Sunday, again, against a very good Saints defense. They're now 5 and 6, which doesn't sound like it would be in that playoff race. But guess what? The 6 and 7 seeds in the NFC are both 5 and 5. It's very interesting when you compare the two conferences right now. The AFC, you basically have a whole bunch of teams that you just say, I have no idea which one of you guys is going to win the AFC. But teams like one through six, one through seven, sure, it could be any of those. And, you know, the wild card race in the AFC, like six, seven, eight, nine seed, like it's going to be a tight wild card race with some good teams in there. With the NFC, it's like the six and seven seed right now, again, are five and five. Like this wild card race is a mess. But then in the NFC, it's like, no, we have five teams that legitimately, like I think, can win the Super Bowl in the NFC. So it's kind of interesting the dichotomy there. Um, but nonetheless, the Eagles only a half game back of being tied for a wild card spot. And here's that upcoming schedule. At New York, the Giants. At New York again, the Jets. At home against Washington football team. At home against the New York Giants. At Washington football team. And then Dallas at home to finish off the season. That is five straight games against teams with losing records. And then you get Dallas at home. But the positive for them in getting that Dallas game at home in the last week of the season like, yes, Dallas would be favored in that game. But there's a good chance Dallas has secured the division headed into Week 17. And if Dallas isn't playing for trying to get the one seed, they might just rest their starters. And if that ends up happening, then there's a chance the Eagles are favored in all of their last six games. So even if you lose one or two of those as an upset, even if they go 4-2, and two, that gets you to 9-8. and eight. Again, currently the six and seven seeds are 500, which would put you right in that conversation at eight and nine or nine and eight. But if you go five and one there in six games that you're favored, at the very least five, you're 10 and seven, you're a playoff team. And honestly, that's a very real possibility. And what a turnaround that would be for the Philadelphia Eagles. And who would have thought that, you know, that Chiefs win over the Eagles? Is that what they're, I don't know, second or third best win? This season, Cowboys win is the best. I, I don't know what you'd argue for the second between the Browns, the Raiders, between that game. But now it's in the discussion is maybe actually a pretty solid win for the Chiefs over the Philadelphia Eagles. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. That is your NFL Monday overreactions here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com.